What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up-and-coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. Now, if that sits good with you, grab a beverage, sit back, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I am your host, DC. And of course, I got my co-host here with me, Locke. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Okay, so we are back to our Fallen Goat series. And for this one, um, listen, this person, I'm going to tell you up front, I'm biased. If you have anything bad to say about this person, we need to meet at whatever local MMA gym, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school, wherever you're at. We need to meet and we need to go to fisticuffs because I'm not allowing anything bad to be said about this person. Because Send I'm us biased. location. <laughs> right. Drop your location. I'm not saying I'm going to win. I'm just saying we have to fight. <laughs> right. So. Before I tell you who today's episode is about, I actually want to run down some accolades. And the reason why I want to do this, I want you to get a picture of some of what this person accomplished before I give you a name. Okay, so one, this person was an Olympic medalist. Um, and this person was also the first Olympic medalist to win a UFC championship. This person was also a strike force champion. So one in two major organizations, which we know not many fighters are able to win in two major organizations, the championship. Um, in the UFC championship, had six title defenses. Never went the distance for the length of the career. Was it went on a 12-fight win streak. And has the most title defenses in UFC bantamweight history. Okay. Now, if you, a lot of thoughts ran through your head as, as to who this could be. You may have thought about triple C's. You may have not known exactly about bantamweight and said, uh, maybe who, I don't know. But who we're talking about today is none other than Rowdy ronda rousey and i don't have my sounds set up but just know that everybody's cheering right now in the background <laughs> <laughs> i'm cheering over here nothing else so lock of course you know i hit you with this one you already know from our years of being friends back when ronda was in her prime and everything that i am a definitely a ronda fanboy so before I kick it off with any, you know, any more kind of accolades or anything like that, I want to throw it over to you and, you know, anything that you want to say about Ronda and then other than that, of course, we'll go with our normal stuff. I'll give out a few more accolades and then we'll just generally talk about uh, her career as a Fallen Goat and why she's in the Fallen Goat series versus the Goat series. I'm going to try my best to stay a little bit even keel, but I am also a big fan. Mm -hmm. So I want to try not to make this the super biased podcast too late where, where we just sit here and <laughs> it's like that Saturday night live skit 
Or you're like, remember that one time when, uh, Ron, <laughs> you know, we just do that all night? But that's what it's going to turn into. But, yeah, I'm a biased opinion. But I also think it's a it's one of the terrible sides of MMA when you see how quick people turned on Ronda. And now yes. it's kind of in vogue to shit on her. And I think, like any of the pioneers of the sports, which she for sure is an MMA pioneer, you know, for the female side. And, um, you know, people shit on them and and we kind of forget about the their contributions and uh and it, that's the ugly side of mma is the how how fast the fandom can turn on you yeah no i totally will agree and um you know she's the reason why we have amanda nunez why we have valentina shevchenko and so many of these other women and why they're able to make a real serious career in MMA. Now, don't get me wrong. There were MMA, there were women MMA fighters before Ronda, but it really didn't get a lot of attention. It wasn't respected and they didn't make a lot of money. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas if we look at MMA today in women's MMA, it's, um, it's starting to rival men, right? It's not like when you look at the NBA versus the WNBA, right? It doesn't matter whether you think the women are just as good as the men or whatever else. When it comes down to people wanting to watch, and this is not a man thing, this is men and women, this is buying tickets, this is showing up, this is supporting, this is watching. There's a tremendous difference between the NBA and the WNBA. It just hasn't gained the respect of the art that you know the NBA has. Because honestly, even honestly, even most female female basketball fans, so females Mm -hmm. that really love basketball and, you know, uh, female basketball players Mm -hmm. tend to prefer, you know, the pros because it's the the NBA because it's the it's the top league. You know what I mean? So it's it's a very select group that's based mostly on friends and family and just yes. supporters in general. Yeah, I definitely would agree. And that's the great thing as to what women's MMA was before Ronda Rousey really broken into mainstream. And don't get me wrong. There were other people along the way that helped it, but Ronda Rousey really pushed it through the stratosphere. Right. So, um, you know, and that was just to talk to about what you mentioned as to her being a pioneer for people that don't know or maybe new to the sport, as we always talk about. I know some things we say just by nature of having watched the sport for so long, it may go toward talking to an audience that may already know. But our goal is also to be able to talk to people that may be new to the sport and they may not know Ronda Rousey's history or why she was even highly regarded. They may have just seen her last, you know, three fights and said she was completely overrated. And why do anybody talk about her without knowing the side of the pioneer? So uh, go ahead. You were about to say something. Well, yeah. I mean, I think when you look, I believe Muhammad Ali lost his like last two fights in a row, right? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. the nature of fighting. Uh, It's not much different than running backs. Yeah. You know, Barry retired at the top of his game. Most running backs don't do that. Like Emmett Smith's last season, he probably rushed for like 600 yards, three yeah. averaging three a carry. You know, it's just 
you you remember the hits and that's the nature of the fight game is most of the time it ends on the bad side yeah and we've talked about that with some of our other fallen ghosts that we've you know uh went over one of them in particular of course bj penn people that are new to the sport that may look at bj penn's record really won't understand who bj penn was if it's not if they don't listen to an episode like fallen goat to really understand that history so or even um, anderson silva too absolutely uh, and, and we haven't just done real that quick because i got it up that one will be coming yes uh Muhammad Ali, not only did he lose his last two, he lost three of his last four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm going to run down. <laughs> exactly. So I gave a few accolades kind of before I mentioned who we were going to talk about, but I'm going to run down a few more of the accolades uh, that Ronda Rousey had. So um, in her career, she went 12 and two. Um, she had uh title defenses she won the strike force title first um and she defended that once but then kind of strike force slowly went defunct but then also she was the reason why dana white decided to allow women into the ufc when he previously talked about women would never fight in the ufc and it was ronda rousey that made that turn that got women into the ufc so when the women's division came, it was only one division, 135. Um, so once she got to the UFC, she won the title there. Of course, she was in the first title fight. Uh, she won the title there and then defended it six times. And by the way, that six times title defense is still, it's actually tied. Um, and not by who you think it would be tied by. <laughs> uh, not Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes is very special. And she did something special by becoming a champ champ. But similar to some of Anderson Silva's wins when he went up to 205, unfortunately, those wins don't count in your streak when we're talking about title defenses and everything like that. So although if you count total titles and defenses in the UFC, Amanda Nunes is about at eight before she just lost. But like three of those were at 145 instead of 135. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, in her career, she never went the distance. It was one of the reasons why she was such a big money maker, why she was so good for the sport. Uh, she was taking you out, and she actually only went out of the first round twice. Uh, once against Holly Holm, which was a loss, and once against Misha Tate in their second fight. So, I mean, that's huge. Uh, You know, 14 fights in the UFC never went the distance. The only people that would even borderline be at that type of stature would be in the heavyweight men's heavyweight division. Nobody else has that type of either you're going to finish me or I'm going to finish you type of record. It's a 100% finish rate. Exactly. Um, Derek Lewis ain't even got that. Exactly. So uh, she had a 12-fight winning streak uh, in the big promotions, which is what I really count. Uh, she had 10, which is over her strike force UFC career, 10-fight winning streak. Just to give you an example or comparison, the two women that I regard in that conversation, as far as GOATs, you have Amanda Nunes. She went on a 12-fight win streak, and Valentina Shevchenko on an 8-fight win streak. 
Yeah. Were you about to say something? Um, <clears throat> and the King of the Cage. I mean, that's not a a big promotion, but it's one of mm-hmm. the bigger of the regional promotions. Yes. Yeah, it is. And I think she had one fight there and one fight in another promotion that I wasn't. I don't remember the HKFC. name. It wasn't one. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one at all. But I, I totally agree with you. King of the Cage actually has brought some great talent all through the larger promotions of MMA that went mm-hmm. through there. Um, during her consecutive streak, she beat some names you may have heard of. Julia Budd, Misha Tate twice, Sarah Kuffman, Liz Carmouche, Sarah McMahon, Alexis Davis, and Kat Zingano. As far as awards, um, she was actually inducted into the International Sports Hall of Fame class in 2018. She's had uh, two fight of the night bonuses. She's had submission of the night, performance of the night on about three or four occasions. Um, First female UFC champion, as I mentioned before, Olympic medalist. She won the bronze medal in judo in the Olympics before she got into MMA. Um, Fastest women's uh, victory as far as uh, finishing. Uh, She finished Kat Zingano in 14 seconds. Um, Longest title fight finishing streak in U.S. history. This is actually with men and women. That six, nobody else has finished six opponents in a row in a title. Once again, title fight. So you're you're only fighting number one contenders, right? Um, as I mentioned earlier, tied for the most title defenses um, in women's UFC history. She's tied with Valentina Shevchenko, who also has six, just crossed the six mark. And uh, she also, you know, very much known if you don't know Ronda for her arm bars. And um, she has the most arm bar finishes in UFC, WEC, Pride, and Strike Force history. This is men and women across the board. You know, she had a nickname, the Arm Collector. <laughs> she was a two time uh, female SB Award winner in 2014 and 15. Um, and she was also a three-time fighter of the year, 2012, 13, 14. I won't go into the different medals and awards that she won in judo other than mentioning her Olympic medal, but she was also very decorated there. And then, as I mentioned, a six-time um, Bantamweight champion, which is actually um, the record at Bantamweight for both men and women. So that kind of ran down her accolades. I'm going to let you die. Go ahead. I was going to pass it to you anyway. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I know you didn't want to get into it, but I do want it to be said that she's got three goals at the Pan Ams, which is Mm -hmm. a a big deal also. And, you know, that bronze in the Olympics, women's judo is a a very uh, deep sport in the Olympics, you know, at the -hmm. the world level. They got a a lot of high competition. So... Sarah McMahon has a silver medal in the Olympics in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. all, all awesome. I don't want to try and take away from what she did. But that's doesn't have the talent base that the Olympic judo does. So that 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 bronze medal in the Olympic judo is very impressive. Yeah, and I think it's because you have a lot of people 
that take judo very, very seriously. And, you know, you have places like America, Russia, some places that take wrestling series serious, but not as much on the women's side, right? Mm -hmm. Judo is just serious, period. And you have a lot of people that take it very seriously and a lot of competition there. So to win that medal um, in the Olympics, especially as an American, when, you know, once again, I'll compare it to like BJ, uh, BJ Penn winning, you know, um, winning, uh, and I, I, I forget which one it was, but, you know, winning as an American in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, winning the goal, it was huge. Like uh, Americans don't do that, right? Not at that time. Um, so Rhonda as an American winning meddling in the Olympics, although it was bronze, it's a huge thing. And, uh, you know, it definitely deserves its accolades. Um, and like I said, she was very decorated in judo before ever, you know, ever stepping foot in the MMA. So before I dive into, you know, any of the questions or anything like that I had, I wanted to throw it back over to you. I know you point out one thing, but just in case it was anything else you wanted to put out there that I missed or anything else you wanted to say about Rondo or GOAT status or anything like that before I dive into some of the questions? No, I think uh, I'll end up spitting it all, all out as you ask, ask the questions anyways, so... I'll save it. This was one, being a fan, and the fact that most of her fights were 34 seconds. Like, I rewatched most <laughs> of Ronda's fights yes. before we watched this. In, like, 30 minutes. <laughs> and and one thing I will say, though, having rewatched so many of her fights going into this, I will say the signs were all there, and we just weren't seeing it because we were so fired up on her ripping everybody's arms off. But now with the knowledge of hindsight, watching some of these fights, it was there the whole time. I'll tell you when I really saw it, and it was in, I'm going to end up asking you a question about your least favorite Ronda Rousey fight. It's not the next question, but I'm going to end up asking you about that. But this, what I'm going to say is my fight was the fight where I was most disappointed in Ronda and where I saw the most holes in her game. And it wasn't too long after that where she was derailed, right? So, but we'll save that one. And you probably know the fight I'm talking about. So the first thing I want to know is, um, you know, actually, when did you become a Ronda Rousey fan? So I've been a fan of hers since she moved to Strike Force. So I didn't see the first two fights either, but I was an early adapter to women's MMA. So I'd I'd always been watching it because I had anything to get free fights and I worked at a cable company. So I had all the channels. So Showtime, I always had all the strike force and elite XC and stuff like that. So as I've seen every single Ronda Rousey fight since her third fight. So I didn't see the first two, but I've seen every single one. And, uh, I think that uh, her era of of dominance is, is is fucking. I forgot what the question was. 
<laughs> no worries. I've been drinking too. <laughs> I was just asking when you became a fan. Basically. Oh, that's right. Um. So yeah, so I've seen every single one of her fights. So I would say I've been a fan of hers as long as she's been fighting. Nice, nice. It, it sounds like we became fans close to around the same time. I really can't tell you which fight because I have seen all the Ronda fights. But I remember uh, she jumped on my radar. Actually, I used to watch. I was a really big fan of Inside MMA back when it was on HDNet with Boss Rutten and Kenny Rice. And um, what I loved about that and HDNet, they were back then what UFC Fight Pass is now. Like, if you have Fight Pass, which I have, um, you get all of these regional shows and all these small shows, and you get kickboxing and Muay Thai and all of this stuff that they have brought under the banner of UFC Fight Pass. Well, well before that, if you wanted to see a lot of these, um, HDNet was a company that Mark Cuban and a bunch of other billionaires got together to put together back before TV was all HD, <laughs> hence the name HDNet. And their whole goal was they wanted to put on some live TV stuff and sports and everything like that. And this particular MMA show, they would talk to everybody, including the up and coming people. And on this network, they would have a lot of the smaller shows. And so they actually had Ronda Rousey. She was on there more than once, but they had her on there. I want to say the first time I saw her on there was maybe a fight or two before she fought Misha Tate, which, you know, she fought Misha Tate like four fights in her career, five or something like that, right? So this would have been about her third or fourth fight when she was on there and I saw her. And everything about her, I instantly liked. You know, she was definitely the right amount of crazy the right amount of delusional to pull off a world championship in your fourth fight. Like the confidence, everything was there. And then I saw her fight and I was like, Oh yeah, oh, she's a star. And you know, before you know it, and even on that show, they were talking about how Dana White said that women would never fight in the UFC. And she said she was going to change his mind. <laughs> Instant star. Not to be, the feminist of the show but a lot of what a lot of people see as the negative on ronda rousey what you're talking about the delusional the crazy the the swagger a lot of people that don't like that about her and i think that's something that's you know that's a microcosm of society you know, mm -hmm. where a woman does this thing, you know, she's bossy or she's a bitch or, we, you, you know, mm -hmm. something like that. When a dude does the same thing and it's like, uh, you know, he's a competitive edge, you know, he's <laughs> scrappy, uh, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We we like that. And I think it's something where she was able to kind of bust that door down and, and be like, nah, you could be a cocky, scrappy girl that and, and she's very much. A, a girl you know what i mean she's a feminist like she she's a girly girl she gets dressed up but she's also got that other side you know and uh i think she kind of kicked that door down to where we'd be like no we can we're athletes we can act the way that everybody else acts yeah i think it was a large part of her edge you know um i think intimidation whether people want to admit it or not when it, especially when it comes to the fight game 
is a weapon. Um, the most you can do to beat a person before you step into the cage or the ring or whatever, the most you can do to beat them mentally, you have an edge when you go into that cage or ring. And part of that is your confidence. Part of that is the things that you do to make that other person hesitate. And I mean, for me, Ronda Rousey had the great package and, and it did end up being a great package because once again, it really put women's MMA on the map, you know? Um, so, um, what was your favorite Ronda Rousey fight? So that's a trick question because like I said earlier, like all my favorite fights, when I watch them, I see all these warning signs that I didn't notice when I was watching them first time through. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite Ronda Rousey fight, it's probably more of my favorite Ronda Rousey moment because, you know, obviously it'd be like her winning the belt or something like that, but that's not a fa- uh, fight that I'm a big fan of. But the Alexa Davis fight is a fight where she actually looked, now she still had some errors, you know, no head movement, stuff like that, but she cracked her with a good shot then followed up with a knee and then... I love the headlock hip toss to shots to the head. That's one of my all-time favorite moves, favorite positions, all that. So I would say that's my favorite. It's a 16-second first-round win, so it's one of her fastest ever's. It's not her fastest, but it's one of the fastest. And she actually mixed it up a little bit and did a few different things. And I have one that I thought was my favorite one, and then I rewatched it. And it's not my favorite. <laughs> Let's see if it's the one that I say is my favorite. So my favorite Ronda fight is the Misha Tate second fight. Okay. The reason why that one is my favorite. One, this is the first time she ever got out of the first round. Mm-hmm. But two, I'm a, I'm, I love one thing about champions. I don't like champions who don't fight long enough or don't refight opponents or anything like that. To me, that's a part of being a champion, right? Mm-hmm. And so her and Misha fought in strike force for the title. And then they gave Misha another title shot in the UFC, right? Um, for Ronda's title at that time. And the thing about it, Ronda had a history by that time, I want to say this was maybe seven fights in or something like that. She had a definite history. You know exactly what she was going to do. You know how she was going to win. You already got armbarred in the first fight. And everything you've trained, every, everything of your being says don't get armbarred. Mm-hmm. You get out of the first round. And you get out of the second round. And you get to the third round. And you get armbarred with the same exact move from the first fight, right? Knowing that it's coming. To me, that was one of the greatest moments of me seeing Ronda Rousey overcome adversity for somebody that knows exactly what you're going to do, but can't stop it. And Mm -hmm. that's one of those things to me that helps boost you to GOAT levels. When everybody has studied you and they know what you're going to do, and you've done it to this person before, but they just can't stop it. So that was my favorite Ronda fight. 
No, I could see that. That was definitely one that was up there, but I wanted to go for a dominant win. <laughs> what was the one that, uh, I mean, listen, it was still a finish. It was dominant. Yeah, for sure. It's not like she was in trouble or getting stopped in that fight or anything like that, it, you know. Mm-hmm. It was it was dominant. <laughs> yeah, what was sure. the one that you said was um you you were gonna go with but decided not after rewatching it? Uh the Sarah McMahon fight. Uh okay. So she finished her with the knees to the body. Mm-hmm. But rewatching that fight, her boxing was really exposed. Cause Sarah McMahon was not a high level striker. And she was piecing her up pretty good. And Ronda's just kind of got that Brock Lesnar thing where she can win because she's a physical specimen and she can grapple Mm -hmm. and she can, you know, impose her will on these people, but she doesn't react well to being punched in the face. And that's not something you can train, you know, Jorge Masvidal just has it. You punch him in the face. He's just about that life. It's, you know, Vanderlei Silva. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, so, but if you watch that fight, Sarah McMahon was lighting her up a little bit. Now, Ronda did show something that I think she could have tried to have utilized more in her career and maybe could have went something. She did some good uh, work up against the cage, like kind of Randy Couture style in the mm-hmm. Sarah McMahon fight, like coming off with like elbows and then the knees. And I think that could have been something she could have utilized in her game a little bit more. But that's around when she decided she wanted to be a boxer because, as we know, all grapplers, when people say they don't have hands, they want to prove how good of boxers they are, you know? And I think she looked good doing the cage work, the dirty boxing. Not dirty boxing because she's throwing knees and stuff like that, knees and elbows, but that style of fighting. But when they were in the middle of the cage trading punches, it didn't look good. Yeah, I think, you know, going back to that time, I think, some people were delusional. I don't think I was ever delusional as far as her stand-up being good. What I think impressed was her stand-up was growing over time, right? Because in her early fights, it was really, really bad. And it was like she got better and better. But in her early fights, she didn't have to use it much. She would just get to the girls and, I mean, it's pretty much over with after she grabs you. So I think like with a lot of people, when you see them younger and raw, you're not really judging where they're at. You're judging their potential and where you see things going. And the, the example I like to use for that is John Jones. Early John Jones in the UFC was very raw. He did so many things wrong. But coming up with a lot of the other guys that he was kind of coming up with at that time, I would say as far as polish, he was at the bottom. But when I saw him and the things that he was doing, I said, oh, no, this this guy has something. He has something they don't have. And um, and as he progressed, you saw that lead to some great things. And as we know, um, had John Jones not, you know, did a lot of things outside of the cage that kind of hurt him in the cage, who knows what his numbers would be right now? His numbers would be so large. It would be un- undeniable that he's the GOAT, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when I look at a Ronda Rousey or somebody like that, I think I judged her accurately for a lot of things. I just think it was based on potential. And I think 
she ran into much, much more superior strikers before she was ready. And they happened to be bigger women that she couldn't muscle. And that was a bad storm for her. No, I agree. And <clears throat> on top of that, she ran into better strikers. I think if she would have took her time more to work on those skill sets. So if you look at 2015, she thought she fought three fights that year. Now, I know she was doing first round finishes, but all of her career besides that, because she didn't fight for that long. She only fought for like six years. Um, yeah. But 2012, two fights, 13, two fights, 14, two fights. Then all of a sudden, 2015, she fights three fights. And that's also at the same time, she was one of the busiest people on earth. She was doing TV spots. Yep. She was mm-hmm. doing guest movies. movies commercials she was a legitimate star and you know good for her she made hay while the sun was shining you know what i mean but it's just asking a little much i think if she could have slowed it down a little bit you know did the two fights but she she kind of you can only redline it for so long and i think she could have took it slower with the career especially without Mm -hmm. these outside things and develop that striking more instead of just diving head first. And, but then when you're winning dominantly, obviously you always think that's going to keep going. Yeah, no, I agree. Plus I think early on, one of the reasons why she didn't fight quite as much. One, it wasn't as many female fighters. One, two, you know, Mike Dolce talked about, she had a lot of issues where she wasn't healing properly from fights before he came into her training camp and, you know, come to find out it had to do with the nutritionist that she had and the diet they had her on. And she just wasn't getting enough as to what her body really needed to heal herself. And so I think that had something to do with it. And you know how it is. You're riding a high, you're beating everybody. You feel like you're untouchable. All of a sudden you're knocking people out. Everybody loves you. You're the hottest thing walking and your body feels good again. I want five fights this year. <laughs> well, and she was, it, it's hindsight, but she was a huge favorite over Holly Holm. Absolutely. She, she was a favorite over everybody. I don't think mm-hmm. there was one fight. Even, you know, when you go into the Amanda Nunes fight, I know maybe newer people may not understand. She was a favorite over Amanda Nunes. It was, Amanda Nunes at that time wasn't the Amanda Nunes that you know today. That Amanda Nunez had just lost a fight like maybe, what, three, four fights ago, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it wasn't, and she lost a fight to somebody that Ronda Rousey beat in like 14 seconds, right? So, uh, but, you know, as I always say, I'm one of those people that truly believe styles make fights, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't say just because this person beat this person the other person will beat that. It it doesn't work out that way, you know. Um, well, and I think now, when you say when you say styles make fights, I think that's why the Holly Holm fight was actually a recipe for disaster because she didn't have the tools to stand with her. And while Ronda was a great chain grappler, once you were in the ground, so in scrambles and in in, in positions. From a takedown standpoint, she wasn't a wrestler, so she didn't really chain grapple like that. In the MMA, a lot of times, that's what it takes to get these people down. 
because they just drill takedown defense so much. So hers was really based off those judo, to- either a trip or a judo toss. And Holly Holm, in addition to being a nightmare with the stand-up, the way she's built, she's kind of tall, she's got big, strong hips, and she's, yep. you know, she uses them when she fights. She's got really good hips. And once Ronda wasn't able to get those tosses, she was doomed because she can't switch to a single leg and then put that to a high crotch. And then, you, you know what I mean? That's not her style mm-hmm. of grappling. And that's where I think right. maybe in that situation, if she could have pushed her up the, against the cage. So now strike with her, but instead of being in the middle and you're kickboxing, you got her leaned up against the cage where you can still kind of use your grappling and land those elbows and knees and foot stomps and take maybe some of that steam out of her. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, uh, Holly Holm, especially earlier in her career, she had a lot of that Chuck Liddell in her, you know, her wrestling. She just wanted to keep it standing and kick your head off. You know, that that's really what it was. So she had a lot of that in there, and that didn't work out well for Ronda. <laughs> but uh, that rolls into what is your least favorite Ronda Rousey fight? And I'll, I'll touch on the one that I spoke of earlier, but I'm going to let you go first. Well, my least favorite, would, I mean, would be the Holly Holm fight, I would say. I mean, that, no, you know what, actually, I'm not, because at least in the Holly Holm fight, she was out there trying to do a couple things. The Amanda Nunez fight, she just got the piss beat out of her. Yeah, that one was sad. And it was really hard to watch. Like, I typically, I just pretend like that fight didn't happen. Like, I count the loss on a record. But, like, physically, I block out the events of that night. Because <laughs> I have that's no not just memories, the, no recollection of that. <laughs> that's not just the worst I've ever seen Ronda Rousey in a fight. That's, like, one of the worst main event performances I've ever seen. Like, she really, I think she made the right, well, we'll get into that later. But I think, you know, <laughs> she didn't bring it in that fight. Yeah, she definitely, in her mind, said, I'm done with this shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, my least favorite Ronda Rousey fight is the Beche Koea fight. And this That's is your least the favorite? Why. Least favorite, definitely. Mm-hmm. This is the reason why. Goes back to remember, what we remember were talking about Remember when Beche Koea, she used to weigh in with thongs? <laughs> Listen, we're not talking about the good old days of UFC back when you could do that instead of this new fight kit stuff. We're not talking about that. I'm just saying, that was dope. (laughs) Those were the good old days. (laughs) So um, this is the reason why that was my least favorite fight. Um, That was a fight where she got a KO with strikes. And everybody that wasn't a Ronda Rousey fan became a Ronda Rousey fan. And Beche was undefeated at the time. Ronda Rousey was undefeated at the time. And she is Brazilian. And she had that um she had that old school Brazilian demeanor. Something I actually want to do a podcast on, I think it's a lost art. But if you remember like old school Vanderlei Silva, um, you know, old school Shogun, 
not Shogun, but maybe probably closer to Ninja, but some of these old school Cyborg Brazilian Santos. fighters. Yeah, yeah. Some of these old school Brazilian fighters that really like that that stare down mm-hmm. before the fight, the stare down the cage, everything. It was a really uh, intimidating president. Yeah. Pele Landajan. Yes. yes. It was a really intimidating presence that they would have. Um, and leading up to that fight, her confidence was on 9,000. She got in Rhonda's face. She was nasty, everything like that. And Rhonda got emotional, took the bait, went out there and started striking with her. Got hit with way too many punches that she didn't block, slip, anything like that. She ended up landing her punches and stopping. And everybody became a Ronda Rousey fan. People that didn't even watch the sport or didn't like her. And I saw it and I said, no, I don't like that. And I remember in the group, in our fight group, I said at that time, I don't like that at all. I'm glad for the win. But if she did anything like that against Holly Holm, because Holly Holm was already buzzing as the possible next opponent, she'll get KO. That's not how you go out and fight. You're not the type of fighter that can take one and trade. That's not what you do. And that's what she did in that fight. And I saw it as something that was going to be a detriment. What I didn't know was everything was going to happen that very next fight. But that was the fight, as you talked about, um, the signs were there and so many things like that. A lot of things I chalked up to learning. When you get to this point and you're at, you know, 12 fights in, 11 fights in, and you let somebody get you so emotional where you go out and do that, the writing is on the wall most of the time. There's only probably one fighter I've seen do that and it didn't derail their career. And that was DC when he fought, um, um, what was the guy name? It was a wrestler that the UFC brought in specifically. Yeah. Cummings. And he went out there and fought him emotional in a terrible fight. And he got hit way too many times. He stopped him just like Ronda Rousey stopped her. But I said, you can't, you can't fight like that. But other than, Fighting John Jones, he never fought emotional again. And as we see what happened with the John Jones fight, when you go out there and fight emotional and you throw caution to the wind, it's never good. And now I also know people can really get under your skin right before the fight. And if you remember, that was what happened in the Holly Holm fight. And Ronda got really upset right before the fight because... During one of the standoffs, Holly Holm really got up in her face. And up until that point, she was talking about how Holly Holm was a good person, yada, yada, yada. And Holly went into game mode like you would as a fighter that had, you know, and by that time, Holly Holm probably had 30 fights. Not all, you know, UFC fights or MMA, but she was a kickboxer and a boxer before MMA. She probably had 30 fights under her belt. She can be cordial around you and turn it on when the fight happens. And Ronda got emotional right before that and went after Holly like a bull and it didn't turn out right. Yeah, I agree with everything you said about the Betch Cohea fight and it definitely was there. And I see why you would say that because 
what I was talking about was the wanting to stand up and strike that I thought was her doom. But what you're saying is, I mean, that is part of it, but that's rooted in the fighting too emotional. And, and I think that the last fight where she had all of that was that second Misha Tate fight. She still fought her fight. Mm -hmm. She fought smart enough. She didn't get over emotional. She had the right amount of emotion, enough that fuels her where she's flipping her off, but she didn't fight over emotional. And then after that, Sarah McMahon would fight. That's the one I was talking about. That's where it started to show that she wasn't fighting her fight anymore. And she was still getting by because she was better than these girls. But she was trying to box and it wasn't going well. And she was, you know, coming up with ways to win. So, yeah, the Betch Kohea fight, it definitely shined. But she started doing it with Sarah McMahon. And even though her stand-up was bad in the Betch Kohea fight... The fight, the punch that she finished her with was really good. It was like a little pinpoint, like, bah! Yeah, it was. <laughs> the best strike she'd probably ever thrown in her fighting career was the <laughs> knockout punch on Bechkehea. And it was just like a little quick, quick, accurate jab shot. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And, you know, maybe it was one of those things, like you said, especially her having a highlight like that. If you remember after that, she really went on a tour that was when she went on Rogan and everything else. Maybe that was a time to, you know, do like you hear some of the champions do now and say, you know, I need to take a few months off, you know, not fight for the rest of the year. Rest a little bit. If you really think you're a striker, strike a little bit more. Bring some more women boxers into the camp, everything like that. But to your point earlier, slow it down a little bit. So, um, that leads me into another question and I'm actually going to make it a compound question. They don't necessarily have to do with each other, but Hey, what does that have to do with anything? Or how, <laughs> how we do this? So two things, um, a lot of forget people, one of them. <laughs> you won't the way I lay on you, you'll be fine. <laughs> so two things. One, as we know, a lot of people says she probably should have changed camps that, um, I always butcher his name, Tverdian. Um, uh, Edmund Tar Tarverdian. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I apologize, Edmund, but uh, we'll just call you Edmund. So you know, a lot of people said she should have probably left that camp and everything like that and moved on. So it's two things, and I want to specifically talk about after the Holly Holm loss. And this is funny because we just had a podcast talking about people who leaves camps after a loss. But mm -hmm. um, after the Holly Holm loss, do you think, one, she should have left camps? And then, two, do you think she should have not fought again? And then maybe after the 125-pound division came up, dropped down to 125 and took another run at it. So now you erase the Amanda Nunes fight. So the two-part question, changing camps and waiting after that loss and maybe dropping to 125. So I don't know if it had to be a matter of changing camps. I feel like she could have did something similar to what a George St. Pierre did where he made his own camp. So he, she still could have based her camp around Edmund. The problem is he was the striking coach, and that's where the problem was. But 
It's not that doesn't mean he's doing a bad job though. You might be able to bring in like a Winkle John or somebody that could switch that up a little thing here or a little thing there that makes the whole thing blend better together. Um so I don't know I know that's the go to thing to say, is that she was too loyal to Edman and she should have switched to a different camp, and maybe that's true. But I think that's easy out. I think no matter what, I think she should have done more to build a camp specifically around her. Like, bring in some of the top coaches from wherever. And not just have this one guy. Bring in the top training sparring counters. Like what GSP did. You know? He would put together, like, all-star mm-hmm. coaching staffs. And oh. I think that would have been a way to go as opposed to just switching a camp altogether. Because you have the money to do it. holding off for 125 after the Holly loss? Uh, I'm never a fan of dropping down or moving. Like, after a loss, I would prefer to move a camp than drop weight uh, weight class. When you start doing that after losses, a lot of times it doesn't work out. I, I just feel like, unless it's going up. Going up sometimes, but you have to know that there could be some lumps involved in that. You know, you could hit a couple speed bump because these guys get big and strong, and you got to commit to it. So I'm not a fan of that. And... At the Amanda Nunez fight, she looked like a fighter that didn't have it no more. And I don't mean that she's still not a talented fighter. I think it looked like she didn't want to be doing it. And that's how you put in a performance like that. And you don't know that you don't want to do it until the last minute because you always get nerves or butterflies or whatever. You you know what I mean? But then Mm -hmm. you get out there and you really realize, I I don't think this is what I want to be doing no more. In the meantime, this monster is beating the shit out of you. And that's a tough situation. So mm-hmm. I don't think she should have waited and went to 125. She made a shitload of money, and she built enough like cult of personality that she's now still able to generate revenue, raise her family, do her own little thing, just off her hardcore fan base. Yeah, and she married a giant, so now like they're going to breed athletic kids. Yeah, right. they're going to build monsters. Yeah, like they're, so, they're, they're just building straight monsters over there. Exactly. And then all the kids will be millionaires because they're going to be, you know, some type of millionaire athletes. So I'm sure they'll be okay. But uh, look, we, we, all know, we all know Ronda's story, right? And then you look at Travis Brown, who is a guy that was, I believe he was a D1 college basketball player. And mm-hmm. then he turned into an elite level MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. Like these would be driven fucking kids. You know yeah, I mean? and, and they have a farm. So, you know, as we always talked about, especially when you look at, you know, us being in Michigan, Midwest, farmers, farmers, kids, those are some hardworking mofos. A lot of your, the reason why Big Ten wrestling and stuff like that is always so good. You know, you got a lot of these hardworking, you know, blue collar kids that, you know, they don't know anything but hardworking as we know. The wrestling room is nothing but a constant grind every single day of toughness. Oh, we know. (laughs) I'm not a wrestler, so I can only live vicariously. (laughs) Well, if if you still kind of make that same money, but now you're making it on Twitch, right? Yeah. That's that's an easier way to make a living. I agree. So let me answer, though. So, one, should she have changed camps? That's a hard question to answer. I, I lean toward agreeing with you. She tried to build her own camp. The problem is her own camp that she tried to build was never stationary. 
she was a little bit more like um like what Tyron Woodley tried to do where she would move around to all these different places so she would go and train at a bunch of different gyms for certain things like you know she'd pop up and she'd be training with the Diaz brothers you know and doing a lot of jujitsu and everything like that down there she would move around as you mentioned Edmund was her striking coach and um at least from what I heard, he was doing the right things as far as bringing in female boxers and everything like that. I just think something was wrong with her style. And it's okay if that's where you're at, but not if you're going up against championship level boxers. And it goes back to something you had said before. The biggest issue was her head movement. If you can just fix her head movement and defense, even that Holly Holmes fight is a whole different fight. I'm not saying whether she would win or lose, but that hit head kick doesn't happen if you're not already rocked from punches. Right? Go ahead, you're about to say something? Well, I think I think there's two ways to fix it. The head movement's a big one. Because she was fighting as a pressure fighter. So she's moving mm-hmm. forward, she's walking you down, and she's throwing punches. You need to move your head while you do that. If mm-hmm. it's just in a straight line, anybody can hit that. Right. Or the other option would be to back her up and take more of a, you know, kickboxing, either outside the pocket, look in the counter, something like that, look for an opportunity to shoot in type. Where the head movement's not as important because you're not moving in on them. So they could have did either. They didn't do one or the other. They just kept working as a pressure fighter, but without the head movement. Like Mike Tyson was a pressure fighter. If you look at Mike Tyson in his prime, like nobody had head movement like that. You had to get your head at that center level or at the center line. Not just head movement. Mike Tyson had one of the best combinations of head movement mixed with footwork. And it's probably still very underrated today because everybody focused so hard on his power. Mm-hmm. But he was a specimen when it came to that. So, yeah, no, I would agree with you. Um, even mixing in some stuff that made her a little bit more of a kickboxer than a boxer, I think would have helped because as a kickboxer, you'll throw certain kicks and that person that doesn't want that will take you down. Great. You're in my world now. I wanted to be on the ground anyway, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why I think people like Oliveira doesn't mind throwing a lot of kicks. What are you going to do? Take me down? Great. Right? That's where I was trying to go. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so I don't think she necessarily needed to change camps. I just think a, not, a lot of changes needed to happen in her camp. Where I would disagree with you at is on the 125. I think if you don't rush back and you don't take the Amanda Nunes fight, I don't think that you are... um I think you give it more time and you have time for the love again. You have time to get over the butterflies of being KO'd. There's a certain thing that I think happens to fighters when they get KO'd, a certain panic or things that automatically gets triggered in them. And if you go back too soon, like any other trauma, you're more likely to experience that quicker because you know what that felt like and you don't want that. And I think at 125, especially when it first opened up, you had a lot of much smaller women going down to 125. 
And I think she had a chance to fight a few women. And yeah, I don't think she would have been able to reign as champion over Valentina Shevchenko, the best number one champion. <laughs> but um, I do think outside of Valentina, almost everybody I've seen down at 125, she could have beat. So I think you give her two fights at 125, build up a little bit of confidence. Now you have a fight between her and Valentina. She loses that fight, but it's a, it's a different end into her career. Even if that, at that point, she decides I want to go in a different direction. I just think that change, we don't see the Ronda that we saw that said, you know, that turned into, uh, uh, um, uh, what was that movie? Lethal Weapon. Um, uh, shoot, what is it? Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> I don't think she stepped into the ring and said, I'm too old for this shit. I think she got hit by the Mack trucks on the end of <laughs> on the end of Amanda Nunez's wrist. And she got hit by a couple of those. And said, wait a minute, I remember. I'm too old for this shit. And I just don't see anybody at 125 with that kind of power. And as we know, Amanda Nunes can float between 135 and 145. Whereas Ronda Rousey, I think, was much closer to a Valentina Shevchenko. She's a smaller girl than Holly and Amanda and all of them. And if you remember, early Ronda Rousey was pudgy. She was a lot more trim when she got with Dolce because of the way that he took the weight off of her. But I think she's an easy 125 without. I think men's MMA, especially when you have to make those big drops, like going from, you know, 185 down to 170 or 205 down to one, you know, 185, those big drops, yeah, but... 10 pounds, especially when you're not big for the division, I don't think it's that much. And I think she could have either A, carved out another career and beat a lot of women, or B, at least went on a nice little streak, two, three fights, and then ended with some more money and a different legacy as to what she has now. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I the opinions of DC when he says that Ronda was pudgy do not reflect the opinions of fat boy MMA incorporated <laughs> in general for the record. Um, but I know she used to cut 20 pounds to make Bantam white. So that's one of the reasons I didn't know about 125. I mean, I know Dolce is a miracle worker. Um, I did like lean Ronda too, though. You know, she, she brought a, yeah. a different kind of Dolce Ronda looked, looked, uh, very exquisite. Dolce Ronda is what got her married to Travis Brown. <laughs> um, I like thick Rhonda, but uh, thick Rhonda and big booty Waterson, right? Them your favorites. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hope this podcast never takes off. <laughs> it's too late. We're all going down. We're all going down. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I, I understand it, and yeah, you know, when I say pudgy, it was more like um. Same as Valentina. They're never, you're not going to look at them. They're not going to be like fat, overweight, anything like that. But compared to the women 
that are much bigger, how much they have to take off and how lean they are at 135, that wasn't Ronda or Valentina Shevchenko. If you look at Van- Valentina at 125, she's lean. If you mm-hmm. go back and look at her at 135, it's it's a, it's a world of difference between the body type, the fitness. And I think um, that could have easily been a Ronda Rousey. And once again, you know, most of the the women at 125 are about 5, 6, and below. Whereas when you go to 135, you're talking about 5, 9, and below. And that difference in height and them cutting down in the weight, and especially for her style, I think it makes a difference in the fight. Yeah, I definitely feel like she could have manhandled some women at 125 because initially that was mostly 115 fighters that didn't want to, straw weights that didn't want to cut no more. Yeah, exactly. And I think that weight class is going to be bigger and bigger. I think it's taken a while for it to pick up a little bit. Unfortunately, um, Valentina's in one of those moments where she really needs more competition. But, um, you know, hopefully they'll bring more. So I'm going to I have one more question and then we'll wrap it up. And the question um, really comes down to, as you know, I usually ask this question for the goats. We know they're done. I get it. It's a compound question. Do you think they retired at the right time or should have kept fighting? And if it was one more fight. Who would you have them fight for that one last fight? Uh, easy questions. And I was actually nervous. I thought you weren't going to ask this one. I was like, this is the question I was ready for. <laughs> but I, I guess like we said, he definitely, I think she retired at the right time. You know, she's got a family. She's, she, you know, seems to be loving life and making millions of dollars playing video games and kind of dicking around and doing what you want is a lot more fun than, and, I, and I'm still, she, she puts a lot of effort into shit, but that's easier than getting punched in the face for a living. So yes, you know, raise a family good for you. And, and that's, you know, um, that's something we don't have to talk about as much with uh dude athletes, you know, like having a family doesn't change their life as much. They just kind of have right. a kid and then go back to it. Um, <laughs> so I think that's, that's something, but then, but if she was going to fight one more fight, and I think it could still do it just because they're fucking both retired. I still think they would both take the fight today is uh, Ronda versus Gina. I didn't think about that one, but that would be huge. And I know at the time, if I'm not mistaken, Gina was one weight class up, but she was never big for that weight class. I think she just didn't like cutting weight. As they could have we did a catch about- weight or something. What, I think Gina could have easily came down to 35. Like, Gina should have never been in the ring with Cyborg. No. Right? You know, this it's because I think she was fighting at 45. But I think she's taller than Ronda. But she's not of that frame that's like a big frame. I think she didn't cut weight, you know. Um, go ahead. You about to say something? No, well, I agree. And the Cyborg fight, she even looked all right for moments. But she just got muscled around but she landed some shots she looked like the technically better fighter for a second and then just got the piss beat out of her yeah by cyborg but like you said she probably didn't belong out there with her yeah brute force size everything like that is a whole different ball game so um for this you know i think every single time this question comes up it's a person that they fought before person they have a big rivalry with 
And um, I would have to say Misha Tate. Even though she has two wins over Misha Tate, I think they have one of those kind of rivalries where it's a rivalry. It doesn't matter what the record is. Everybody's going to come. They're both going to bring it. And be it that Misha Tate did well in the second fight, relatively speaking, and you take Ronda after those two losses, but Misha Tate, and we've talked about this before, I don't think she's anywhere near the best women's MMA fighter. But when it comes down to heart, she has some of the biggest heart in I've seen in MMA. And I think even with her losses, there's no fear in her when it comes to Ronda Rousey. I think she'll bring it and I think she'll look at it as Ronda's lost twice and been KO'd. This is my opportunity. And I think it would make for an absolute great fight. And as far as her retirement, other than the scenario I named, where she never fought Amanda Nunes, <laughs> she lost to Holly Holm, went down to 25. I can see that. Other than that, staying at 35, yes, she retired at the right time. Um, you know, knowing Ronda and knowing Travis Brown, they probably still do some training. Um they're staying fit, you know, once again, working on a farm is hard work. So I know you're staying fit and everything, doing that. And then to your point, you know, doing the, the Twitch, but also she, she put all of her, you know, close uh, friends on and wrestling and everything like that. Uh, last time I popped up and checked, which I don't watch wrestling as far as, uh, you know, WWE type wrestling, but like, uh, what was it? Shayna Baszler was like, a big dog over there. And so she took Shayna, Jessamine Duke, um, Marina and all of them. And I think it was originally Shayna's idea for them to go over there, but yeah, cause she was, Ronda a big was the big fan. name. Yeah. But Rhonda's the big name. Rhonda can bring Rhonda can make it happen. And, you know, to be able to do that, carve her career out over there, then leave there. And then Twitch is like, you know, she can do whatever she wants to make money. They're not going to hurt. And they don't seem like people, that spend money frivolously. So I'm pretty sure she'll be fine. But the fight fan in me wanted to see her with a little bit of a different ending to her career. And, you know, I can't believe, I completely forgot to mention it through this whole episode, but what she did in WWE was impressive also. We've seen a lot of people go over there and, you know, do like a storyline or two or something like that. She went out there and was a legit wrestler. She committed to it. She learned how to wrestle. And she was a WWE superstar, which a lot of those people that convert over are not. They just do a couple events, you know, but she was huge. And that was another career that instead of going to 125 and staying, you know, in the UFC for a while, she could have stayed in the WWE for another five to 10 years and made millions of dollars. Also, yeah, she was good at that. I feel like she dominated this world and I said, okay, I'm done with it. Then she dominated that world and said, I'm done with it. She said, I'm just going to start a farm with this big ass dude and make big ass babies and play <laughs> video games and shit. Yeah. I think when she left, that was at the point where either they were talking about or she found out, you know, she, she was with child. But, uh, yeah, and Travis Brown, you know, I get it. You know, I'm probably like 5'11". He's like six, seven, eight, or whatever, you know, whatever size they make giants, you know. And uh, But 
you know, I probably would still fight him over Ronda. Like, if it was like, hey, Ronda's up for grabs, but you got to fight Travis Brown. I'd be like, you know, we can go a couple rounds, make sure my insurance is good, my life insurance too. And then, yeah, you know, I would go a couple rounds to, you know, get Ronda over here on my side, you know. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> a couple rounds. A yeah, couple I mean, rounds. Okay. A couple seconds in a round. However you want to put it, same thing. <laughs> a couple dozen seconds. I'll do a couple. I'll go a couple dozen seconds against Travis Brown. <laughs> okay. Anything left? Anything last you want to throw in here? No, I. Uh, I think. This is one where I get that it's a fallen goat, and especially now because um, Amanda Nunez is probably the goat all time mm-hmm. of women's fighting, but Ronda Rousey is definitely a pioneer to that, and she kind of paved the way, and I'm a huge fan, and it sucks that we're now talking about her as a, a fallen goat, but like I said, play your video games. It's a much easier way to make a living than getting punched in the face, so. <laughs> I said I would agree. And, um, you know, just to kind of wrap it up, you know, I like to run down a few of those acc- accolades again, just so that people understand, remember why this person was ever in the GOAT conversation. Because when she was in her heyday, there was no Valentina Shevchenko. There was no Amanda Nunes. The only conversation as far as the women's GOAT was between Ronda Rousey and uh, Justina Cyborg Santos or whatever the last name is now, since she's no longer married to the other cyborg, the male cyborg, which most people probably don't know. Right. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to go down once again, everything she did in judo, but of course, winning that Olympic medal, medal women's strike force champion, plus defended the title UFC, first UFC women's champion, defended the title six times, never went the distance in her career. She's either going to finish you or you're going to finish her. She only went out of the first round twice in her career. Most title defenses in UFC bantamweight history, 12 fight win streak, multiple fight of the night, submission of the night, um, uh, performance of the night. Longest title finishing win streak, uh, men and women, uh, SB awards, um, female fighter or female athlete of the year, 2014, 15, three time fighter of the year. Uh, just so many things that she did throughout her career. And once again, I'm just wrapping it up. So throwing a few out to understand if you're wrapped into that, when it's going on at the time, not looking at it in the hindsight, you understand how special she was for women, women's MMA, MMA in general, and how special she was for the UFC as a pioneer and as a fighter and why she was regarded as a GOAT. So that wraps up another Fat Boy MMA podcast. Thank you for listening. Come again. That wraps up another Fat Boy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at fatboymma55 at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. That's links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening.